All right, everybody, welcome to Power and Purpose Podcast. I'm your host, Mastin Kip, and really excited to be here today uh, with a former uh, pro athlete, author, uh, company founder, co-founder of Vega, uh, successful entrepreneur, um, good friend, uh, Brendan Brazier. Welcome to the podcast today. Hey, thanks, Mastin. I'm so excited to be here today with you because, you know, a lot of people know I've gone through my own health revolution, and it started getting me asking questions beyond um, just, you know, the psychological elements of health and well-being and really into the physicality of it, into the science of it. And what's really interesting, you know, is that like all, it's, it's funny, we've known each other now, I think for, we were talking earlier before the recording, I think at least the last seven or eight years. And we sort of parted ways. And it's the first time we've chatted in a while. But what's really interesting is a lot of the research that I've done uh, about health and well-being all comes back to what you're all about, which is why I reached out because I was like, I know, obviously, I've been consuming Vega products for a long period of time. Um, you know, there's a, you know the, the fiber and the phytonutrients of plants is so important. But what, what I'm really fascinated about, and something I'd like to talk to you about today is, I'm also really into, like, sports and athlete, and, and for me specifically, like, bodybuilding and performance, not just weight loss, um, and also entrepreneurial endeavors. So I'd like to hear sort of like what your thoughts are sort of on, like, when you look at, like, the vegan diet and you look at, you know, performance you know, whenever I think about veganism, because I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm still new to the, the idea behind the, the, the full vegan approach. But, you know, you think about eating like spirulina and kale and people who maybe aren't fully nutritionally well, like there's, a, there's, not, there's, not, there's not a holistic approach to it, especially from a performance perspective. Um, there's, you know, it's like, is it just green juice? Like that to me, there's so much more than that. You know, um, can you talk a little bit about like, you know, the whole philosophy that you have around, um, vegan food, you know, you're always exercising, you're always out, you're always, you know, out there and you, you love movement. You have a, uh, your, your energy levels are through the roof. Um, and you still have a fantastic levels of performance in your life. So can we talk a little bit about like your, your philosophies around what is sort of, plant-based nutrition why is it important it's obviously more than quinoa and green juice you know <laughs> yeah no absolutely and um that's kind of how i got into it you know i i ran track in high school and i liked it and i thought if i could do that full-time and be a pro runner you know that would be amazing and i could just do that all day long and uh, i realized i like swimming and cycling soon after so i thought okay i want to try and be a triathlete here what you know what does that entail and and i found recovery was the big thing you know the, the great thing about triathlon especially long triathlon like Ironman which is what I did so you know 3.2 mile swim 112 mile bike ride then a marathon so 26.2 miles so yeah, yeah. A super long event that I mean you, you can't fake that you know I don't care how talented you are you cannot get through that unless you really put in the time and that's what appealed to me because I think as an athlete my talent level is average at best and that averageness can be offset by hard work and I think that uh, that's really what sort of caught my attention with the sport is that I can, I can work hard. I know I can do that. I'm not that yes. talented, but Hey, I can work. So how do you put yourself in the best opportunity to work harder? Well, one of the big things is you speed recovery. If you can get your muscles to regenerate more quickly, you do more training in less time, you improve faster. So it's really just putting your body in a position that it can work harder. Um, reducing inflammation is a big thing. Um, so I started getting really curious about that. What, uh, what constitutes good recovery? How can I speed my recovery, um, through good nutrition? And, uh, you know, this was back in 2000, actually this was, this was 98 when I first started out doing Ironman wow. full time. So obviously information back then doesn't flow the way that it does today. And it was hard to get 
a hold of, uh, you know, reliable, reliable info. So I did a lot of self-experimentation, tried eating different ways. And, um, and, you know, over the years, I, I learned what worked. I learned what didn't. I kept a really tight training and nutrition journal and I could see how uh, my performance corresponded to when I was eating well to, to when I wasn't. And, and that kind of helped me form a, a set of, I guess, dietary principles, you could say, which is, is what I wrote about in, in my first book, Thrive. And it's really just laying out the groundwork for, for what worked for me and, you know, some sort of like kind of overarching principles that are, are really quite nonspecific, but um, in being nonspecific, they're, they're quite broad in um, who, who they'll help. You know, it's not just for athletes. It's the sort of thing that can help a lot of types of people. So, you know, one of them being uh, just something that I thought was interesting, the, the net gain of food. So what I mean by that is looking at the amount of nutrition in the food, the vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals, antioxidants, but also factoring in digestibility. You know, so the goal became get as much nutrition at the lowest, uh, lowest cost, the lowest amount of energy that you actually have to put out for digestion. So the net gain becomes quite high. So what I started to do is swap out things like pasta and, and, you know, basic rice, which is, you know, obviously carbs are not necessarily a bad thing when you're doing a lot of training, but I wanted food that would deliver more nutrition and um, come at a lower um, energy output. Yes. So I started getting things like amaranth, quinoa, buckwheat, wild rice. So pseudo grains, technically seeds. So you can sprout them because of course they turn into plants that improves digestibility and they have far more um, micronutrients than pasta. So less uh, digestive energy out, more nutrition in. So that's a really basic, simple principle that I lead off uh, in the book with that, you know, I'd never considered For me, it was all about in the beginning, wrongfully, and I think a lot of people, you know, go this way is about calories, you know, a calorie is a measure of food energy. So you assume the more calories you eat, the more energy you'll have, you know, that, that seems to make sense. But after eating a 3000 calorie fast food meal, you don't have a lot. Of <laughs> yeah, you're dead. Exactly. So how can you take in all that food energy yet be tired? And, and that was kind of the disconnect that I started looking into there. And uh, I believe that the high net gain approach which is kind of a good base and just something that I sort of started off um, doing and then, uh, you know, kind of went from there. I love it. I mean, I, I think it's so true and it's interesting, you know, that's one of the things that has been uh, a big aha for me is that like not all calories are created equally. Um, and uh, for sure, not all carbohydrates are created equally. Um, now about protein though, because, you know, I grew up in Kansas. I grew up on the standard American diet and in that body, like so that, that Kansas, you know, I was a wrestler, bodybuilding, and it was all about the protein. You know, it was all about like how many chicken breasts you ate or, you know, how, many, how much steak you had or how much whey protein you had. Um, and, you know, um, you know, when I think about bodybuilding, um, you know, you need a level of protein to burn, uh, to, to protein synthesis to create muscle and stuff like that. So how do you get enough pro- – I know this is probably one of the most basic questions, but I always want to know – is how you get enough protein from a vegan diet because I'm imagining having to eat like three gallons of spirulina a day to get like enough protein um, to like in a performance state, not in just like a normal civilian type state, but we're talking like a performance state, especially when I'm like be building muscle and stuff like that. Yet you see vegan bodybuilders and I've never really taken the time to go like, how do they do that? So, I mean, is it really as simple as like there's protein in quinoa and that's the same as a chicken breast? Like, you know what I mean? Like, how does that, how does that equate for, for performance and, and building muscle? 
Yeah, no, it's uh, it's, a, it's a good question. And, and yeah, you know, back to kind of the first point about swapping out starchy refined carbohydrates for whole uh, seeds, like and amaranth quinoa, buckwheat, wild rice, you know, and things like uh, lentils, legumes, beans, peas, you know, all of that, even the carbohydrate, like quinoa and uh, buckwheat, amaranth, primarily carbohydrate, but there's still protein in that. And you have enough of that, you know, you eat that throughout the day, getting quite a bit, even greens, you know, spinach and kale is 45% protein, spirulina, chlorella is about 70% protein. So if you eat a really good whole food based diet, as opposed to refined food based diet, you get quite a lot. Now, when you are training a ton, when you are doing, you know, whether it's like you're doing wrestling or bodybuilding, you know, more strength sports, um, you need you need some more. You know, it's, it's going to be easier if, if you add some protein, you know, um, and that was kind of the basis of some of the Vega products too, you know, yep. pea protein, um, hemp protein, um, pumpkin seed protein, um, and endurance athletes too. You know, a lot of people don't realize, but when endurance athletes do long bike rides, long runs, the the purpose of that, keeping the heart rate low, is to teach your body to burn fat as fuel and preserve glycogen, which you know stored carbohydrate in the muscle. So, in doing so, and teaching your body to burn fat, you um, you have basically an unlimited energy source. So you're not going to hit the wall or bonk. You know the terms used for when your your muscles are depleted of carbohydrate. Um, but in in training that system, it also does burn a percentage of protein, and in doing so, it actually does literally burn muscle as fuel. So that's why a lot of the guys, like Tour de France guys and you know marathon runners, they, they get frail, they get super super light. Mm-hmm. Of course, you, you want to be light, but you want to be strong and efficient. And some of those guys get too light, and that's because they don't have enough protein. They just simply and um, this is like not specific to vegan. I mean, this is really just any elite marathoner or Tour de France cyclist a lot of the times they just don't get enough protein because they think, you know, carbs are fuel and that's true, but they don't consider, um, you know, the amount of protein they burn in, in those fat metabolism rides. So gram for gram, um, and compared to your body weight, endurance athletes actually need a little bit more protein than strength athletes because it is. So I think that's something that, you know, was a bit overlooked and I had to to look into really seriously when I was training for marathons and, and Ironman. So yeah, I started adding some other proteins, specific proteins, like I was saying, um, you know, like pea protein, um, hemp protein, pumpkin seed protein, uh, either straight up or in the form of Vega as well. So you do, so, so with that question though, here's my question though, because and this is like, I think the heart of it and you can bust the myth for me once and for all. And I've, I've actually been saving this question for this conversation. So like, when you look at vegan protein sources and you look at say, you know, like my favorite, uh, one of my favorite proteins, um, beyond the Vega proteins is I also, I, I kind of mix it up and I have a bunch in my, in my, in my shelf. And one of the, I don't do whey anymore at all. Um, but I do do defatted beef protein. Um, uh, JJ version makes some, uh, my friend coach Adam Cobb makes some, and it, it seems to do pretty well for me for digestibility and stuff like that. Um, but is it, and I could be completely wrong and you know, the science on this, bioavailability when you look at like bringing in vegan levels of protein does what because it's like a calorie is not a calorie right does one gram of vegan protein produce the same level of recovery as like one gram of like a defatted beef or chicken breast protein does that make sense like is it is it pound for pound so can i just simply supplement you know pea or whatever it might be uh pea protein or brown rice protein whatever it is um is, is, is it is it gram for gram the same thing well, that's, that's why we did the combination of protein. So it's good to combine plant proteins like pea protein, rice protein, you know, hemp protein, any one of those. 
uh, plant-based proteins when you combine them. And that, that was something I was really mindful of creating the formulas is that, you know, some, it is a little lower, like pea protein, um, for example, is a little lower in tryptophan, but that's a bit higher in, in rice protein. So, uh, you know, you, you start combining different ones and you, you not only get complete amino acid profile, but you get them each really well represented. So it is, it is, you know, in quality score as high um, as, as meat. Plus you don't have the inflammation causing right. that, that meat does. And um, with some people, digestibility ones as well. Um, so yeah, something to consider for sure. But that's what I found, you know, some of the athletes I've worked with too, who are purely even strength athletes, they find that when they convert over to, to plant-based proteins, um, the inflammation goes down, which means they can lift heavier weight because they've got more functionality in their muscle and lifting heavier weight allows them to make themselves stronger. So it doesn't make you stronger, but again, it just sort of gets out of your way and allows you to make yourself stronger. Which is about that recovery process too, which I think is really huge. So it's, 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 it's better to digest. And it also, so, so basically what you're saying is if mixed correctly, like with the Vega products and how they're combined, um, then you can get a complete profile um, just like you would uh, from a from a from a, a, a sort of meat source as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know that's the thing is I have so many different sources of protein in my diet. Um, I mix it up. You know, I keep things fresh. I just I I eat different types of lentils, legumes, beans, peas, nuts, seeds. In you know throughout the week, I don't try and combine everything at every meal or every day even. But sure. throughout the week, it's you know it's far more than what the average meat eater would, would eat um, in terms of protein source. Of course that, you know, the average meat eater has, you know, chicken and beef and that's kind of it. That's <laughs> Whereas, you know, I probably have 12 or 15 different types throughout the week um, as, as most, you know, people who eat plant-based and, and are mindful of it too. So um, yeah, I think there's a, a lot to be gained there for sure. That's amazing. And I, I love this idea of the inflammation too, because when I started down my health journey, all the inflammatory markers were like through the roof. Um, and it's, you know, the reducing inflammation has been a really big deal. That's always been a question I've had because when you look at, you know, uh, strength training, performance and endurance work, I mean, you're putting your body into an inflammatory catabolic state where it's like it needs to repair. Um, so it sounds like what you're saying, which I think is amazing, is that the, the vegan sources of protein uh, by their nature simply reduce inflammation, but they also allow you to recover quicker so that you get um, from that catabolic, you know, state where you're uh, being taxed into more of that anabolic resting state where the real, the, the muscle growth happens. Right. And that, you know, that was one of the big things too, is that I looked into and became another dietary principle in the book was with reducing cortisol, you know, cortisol is a stress hormone and exercise is a form of stress physiologically it's stress, you know, for a lot of us, myself included, of course, it's psychologically it's stress relieving, but, physiologically does produce stress. So looking at it as any other type of stress, stressful event, uh, whether it's psychological or um, emotional, environmental, breathing polluted air, whatever it is, cortisol is going to go up, um, you know, hard time at work, working a lot, you know, not enough downtime. Um, and what happens when cortisol is high is one, it's very difficult to get into the deep delta phase of sleep, which is a deep rejuvenative phase that most of us as North Americans actually don't get into. So the problem is we wake up and we're still tired because we haven't, it's not necessarily that we haven't slept enough, but we haven't slept um, deep enough. So mm -hmm. the quality is compromised and we wake up first thing, of course, we crave caffeine and sugar. 
you know, caffeine and sugar are stimulants. They work, you know, definitely give us energy right away. No doubt about that, but it's, it's short term. It's treating the symptom of fatigue through stimulating the adrenals as opposed to the cause of fatigue, um, which would be, you know, treated by helping to lower cortisol, which would then allow you to get into that deep sleep, wake up, be fresh, be rested, not crave coffee, not crave sugar. So that became one of my goals too, was to, to not borrow this energy. You know, the stimulants are, um, are borrowing and you do pay for it eventually. And you pay for it. And like I say, elevated cortisol and eventually can be adrenal fatigue and therefore a chronic system. Um, you know, a lot of people have experienced drinking coffee, you drink one cup of coffee, um, and you get energy, but then, you know, you keep doing that, then you need two cups and then three right. and more, and that's just borrowing energy. So I became very mindful of different, um, stresses and different things that cause cortisol to go up. And what I actually did is I divided it into two main categories, um, that I call production stress and, um, or actually the, the, the main two ones are uncomplimentary and complementary. So, um, complimentary is like work, you know, you work a lot. Sure. It may be stressful. Cortisol may go up, but you have something to show for it. You've achieved something, you got something accomplished. That's good. You know, like don't, uh, don't stop doing that training again, break down muscle tissue. Cortisol goes up. It's stressful, but you have something to show for it. Now you're fitter. You've, uh, you know, your body's overcompensated. Now you're stronger. So that's a good use of, of cortisol. That's a good use of stress. What's not is the uncomplimentary, the one where you get no return. So, you know, like, like you say, psychological stress, worrying about things you don't have control over, you know, just knowing when to let things go, knowing, knowing just to kind of roll with things. Don't, don't let it bother you because it will have a physiological negative impact. Um, eating low quality food, you know, food that takes a lot of digestive energy, but gives you very few nutrients in return is also a type of uncomplimentary stress. You get nothing for it, yet your cortisol goes up. So one of the, the main things I try and get across in the book is how to reduce uncomplimentary stress. And therefore, you can actually engage in things that produce more um, complementary stress. So you can train more. If you're an athlete, you can actually get away with training more before you hit your stress threshold and cortisol becomes an issue. And that's huge. You know, if you can do that, you're going to be a better athlete. Or you can work more, you know, if you're super busy. I know a lot of the guys in the tech industry now who kind of follow this too because they're just so busy and they, they want to be super efficient. They want to work a lot before stress threshold uh, spills over and, and, you know, burns them out. So amazing kind of longer term approach, but definitely effective. I think it's awesome because it's interesting, you know, the more that I get into this health stuff and really understand like what the numbers mean and, and like, like there's a core, I, I used to think that there was zero correlation between the way that I feel and the food that I put in my mouth. I thought that was complete hogwash. Uh, obviously that's so beyond uh, wrong. <laughs> um, but what's been interesting is my, my intuition or what I've noticed is that I tend to feel better when I'm in, I'm not going to go if I necessarily say full vegan state, maybe one day I'll get there. Um, but if I'm majority plant-based, if I'm, not, if I'm, if I'm, if the majority of what I'm eating has, you know, those phytonutrients and I'm, I'm drinking, for example, a, a cold pressed raw juice versus something that's a little more processed or something with more, or more, uh, more fiber in there, like naturally occurring fiber. Um, if there is, you know, a vitamin or green or Vega product, like in what I'm doing, there is a level of feeling better. And it kind of sounds like what you're saying is, is that when you're in this um, plant-based 
um, and it has to be correct because, you know, I mean, you don't want to be the vegan who eats the gluten-free vegan chocolate chip cookies from Trader Joe's, right? Because that, that, that's, that's not fair. That's like cheating, right? It's not, that's not real veganism. <laughs> um, how does this stuff, because one of the things I learned in, 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 in my whole process and the big aha for me with the produced weight loss was that like I'm in an inflammatory state and it's primarily hormone imbalance, primarily the hormone insulin. And that stimulates through you know, a lot of the stuff you're talking about, the, the foods that we eat, the processed foods, those um, inefficient calories that are just highly uh, processed. All, I mean, all food raises insulin, but those sugary, carby, super you know, processed, the other ones that we all supposedly are supposed to love that have a hard time getting up, that's the stuff that stimulates insulin the most. And, and when I got my insulin in check, everything got back in order. So what's interesting about your approach is that when you think about, like I was pre-diabetic, you think about diabetes. Um, you think carbohydrate and you think that's going to make it worse. But is that, I mean, obviously we can talk about diabetes or not, but when, when I hear carb, I used to think like, well, I can't do that because I, I have to lower my blood sugar. So how does, um, cause you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of carbohydrates in a vegan diet. Um, what is the difference uh, between say like, you know, you talked a little bit about lentils or amaranth or quinoa, that versus say like a white rice or, you know, say a, a popsicle, right? Even if, even if it has the same number of carbs, if you will, in it, very different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when you combine carbs with protein, fiber, and fat, they're not going to spike. So it's going to be a slow release. It's not going to throw your blood sugar off. So you can actually put pure sugar in with protein, fiber, and fat, and you wouldn't get a, a spike. Um, so yeah, when you have the slow release carbs as well that are from lentils and, and you know different things like that, um, and then you combine it with the car with the uh, protein, fiber, and fat, yeah, that that won't be an issue. And your your body burns that. You know that's that's what you use for energy. Obviously, um, when you're when you're just walking around, your brain burns um, sugar, of course. And uh, yeah, not not all a bad thing. And you know, I find personally too, I get really light if I don't get enough, um, starchy carbs, like sweet potatoes, oatmeal, that type of thing. If, you know, if I get all my carbs from fruit and I tried this a while back and I felt okay, but I, I started getting pretty light and I was fine, but then my strength started to drop off and I just, you know, strength to weight ratio is, is what it's all about. So when you, you lose some weight, that's fine. But once strength starts to go, then that, that can be an issue. So I have to kind of find that balance there. Um, that's right for me. Um, you know, making sure, like I say, I do get enough starchy carbs to, uh, you know, just support the activity and, and feel stronger too. And, but it's, but, but, you're, but what you're saying is, is that like carbs don't necessarily, aren't necessarily the devil that we've made them out to be. No. And I think, you know, they, I, I, I do think that probably the average North American who is completely sedentary really, and eating a lot of empty carbs, you know, carbs not having the vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals, antioxidants in them. Yeah, those, those are overconsumed for sure. And the refined ones, um, you know, the, the white flour and those types of things. But yeah, just uh, unrefined, nutrient-dense, carb-containing things such as, you know, sweet potatoes, um, lentils, legumes, anything like that. Uh, for someone who's active, even moderately active, is uh, is is really good. You know, you're not going to be gaining fat; it's going to be burned as energy. It, it's so interesting you say this because I remember, like, um, the Thrive Food Service. You know, I look at the meals, and I was like, "Dang, those meals look great!" And I'm thinking to myself, you know, there's no way I'm losing weight with that meal. There's too many carbs there, but that's that's really sort of not the the whole picture because what like why is like for example like fiber um 
why is like, you know, pairing it with a fiber uh, important and or a fat and or protein? Like, what is it about the pairing that makes it less, I guess you could say dangerous or promotes uh, better health and maybe weight loss and strength gain? Like, what is it about the combination that's so important? It just uh, prevents it from spiking. So even if it's a really good carbohydrate, like green juice, for example, you could juice greens and, and it's sugar. It's just basically sugar. Not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I, I think green juice is good, but as long as people are aware that you know, that is sugar um, and it will cause insulin to go up. And that's why you feel it. You know, you get the energy right away when you have, especially if it's like a beet juice or a carrot juice, something that's even more rich in sugar. And what's happened there is you've removed the fiber. Um, so obviously the difference between blending and juicing is with blending, you retain everything. You keep the fiber, you keep the, um, you know, the little bits of protein, um, that are in there. Um, but especially the fiber. And when you remove that, uh, which is what you do with juicing, you, you know, you have a sugar spike, you have an insulin spike and you get the energy. And that's why people like it because they get the energy, but it still is, you know, it still is sugar hitting you right away. And so fiber like acts as like a blanket or like a, like a, 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 a how should I put it? Like it, 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 it stops insulin from spiking as much. Essentially. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you combine it with protein and fat, it does even more so. And then it becomes like a slow release long-term thing and you won't see any spike at all in insulin. And so, and, and so that the net effect of this is essentially, it's not necessarily like you, maybe you get like a huge uh, spike of energy, but you got that like kind of like that hum all day long where there's no crashes. Yeah, exactly. That's incredible. So how does this relate to, um, when you think about like, you know, the, uh, everything you've done with Vega, um, the whole thrive concepts, um, you know, when you, when you look at this, is it, is it, is it a moral issue? Like I don't like factory farming or is it like, this is what's most efficient based on the data or is it a combination of both? Like, what is it that makes you passionate about this type of lifestyle? Well, it started off, it was, um, it was very selfish for sure. It was just about me trying to be a better athlete and, um, I didn't try to be vegan. I just tried to eat whatever would speed my recovery and help me um, increase my odds of having a career as a pro athlete. That was my goal, and I would have eaten anything at the time. But you know, when I when I found plant based, um, at first it actually didn't work very well. I tried a whole bunch of different diets, some better than others, and then I tried plant based. But I was a you know in the beginning I was hungry a lot of the time, uh, wasn't recovering well. You know, but I'd made the mistakes that a lot of people did, like I mentioned before, just eating a lot of starchy foods, became more of a starchitarian than a vegetarian, you know, <laughs> with all starches, refined starches. So um, that didn't really work. And then I found what I was lacking, a complete protein, vitamin B12, iron, calcium, omega-3 fats, found plant-based sources, blended them together, had a blender drink every day. Um, it, it tasted terrible, but it was <laughs> functional. And that actually evolved into to what became Vega was that blender drink. And so it was really all about purpose, um, the end result, which was increasing my odds of, of racing full time and sort of offsetting my lack of talent um, by, by just <laughs> working harder. So that's what got me into it. But then when I started eating more plant based and, you know, people asked me what I was doing, I was telling them I was eating plant based. And, and then, you know, word kind of got around because I was able to train so much more than other people. I was improving so much more quickly. So um, I, I then got asked to speak, I think Earth Save, um, you know, a, a vegan organization mm -hmm. in, in Vancouver where I grew up. And, you know, they asked me if I would consider speaking um, at one of their, their events as, as a vegan athlete. And I said, sure, you know, I'd never done anything like that before, but sure, I'd be happy to just sort of, you know, talk about what works for me and kind of open my eyes to, you know, the other 
other aspects um, that goes into our food system, you know, the farming, the, uh, you know, the way farm workers are, are treated and paid and um, of course the animals and, you know, the environment too, you know, the efficiency of, or inefficiency of the food system. So that was kind of my first taste of, of sort of a social aspect to the way we eat. And, and then I, I learned a lot more about it, did a lot of research. And, and yeah, I mean, now, you know, as a 42-year-old, not a 15-year-old, I, I do care about, uh, you know, more than just myself. Um, I care about uh, how food is produced and, you know, how people are treated and how animals are treated and, you know, how efficient is it? How, um, you know, how are we going to continue to feed people nutritious food um, as our population continues to grow. And, you know, if we're raising livestock and it's, it's very inefficient, um, a lot of land, water, fossil fuel, um, you know, is that really the best approach? And, you know, I think, uh, I think there are, are a lot to be gained by just, you know, not doing that and, and growing crops such as hemp. You know, hemp is a great one. Algae is amazing. You know, it grows very quickly, uh, takes very few resources, delivers a lot of protein. So there's just, there's just better ways to do things. Um, as I found. And so, yeah, I, I you know, I, I have to support uh, a system that, that the numbers back and that makes sense. And it's really just one of efficiency um, through, through better, better farming practices. I, I love it. I, Cause what's so great about this is that like, you know, uh, we, when I, when, when I think of like the archetypal vegan, it's, I, I remember like maybe three years ago or four years ago, um, I, I did this whole video blog online about like bulletproof uh, coffee and the butter in the coffee and stuff like that. And um, I talked about weight loss and literally Brendan, like the vegans came out in a way I've never seen it before where it was like, I might as well have been talking about Nazi Germany or and the whole, I have no idea. Like, it was like, it was the, the level of like vitriol, which is, I've never experienced that before in my life. And so I was sort of like, you know what y'all like, cool, but like chill with the righteous, attitude there like i'm gonna have some bacon today cool you know like all good uh, i'm not judging you don't judge me um and, and, and sort of turn me off but then through this self-discovery process kind of learning about bioavailability and learning about uh recovery and learning about anti-inflammatory properties and 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 you know micronutrients which i feel like nobody is talking they're all talking about macros but no one's talking about micros or phytos which seems to be like a whole other world of exploration you know i'm i'm, I'm starting to understand the value here um but what's so great about your message here is that it's not coming from like a sort of a holier than thou type place it's very much in the data and oh, by the way, there's this really important moral issue here too. But I don't, I don't feel any like judgment of like, dude, you you eat deep fat of beef protein, something's kind of wrong with you. We need to, we need to take you out back and kind of you know, teach you a lesson. Um, it's really pragmatic. What? Why do you think that there's sort of this? Uh, I've never met a group, and they're all in my tribe. And so there's nothing against it. But I just, what, what is it with this passion about um, veganism uh, that seems to almost boil over into um, a dogma? Almost, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I know those people too. And, you know, it's interesting. Um, I've had a few conversations with, with other people in, in the industry and even actually a friend who owns a, a chain of vegan restaurants um, said that it's the, the most trouble he's had is with uh, vegan customers <laughs> and nothing, you know, nothing against vegan customers, obviously, but it's just like, you know, some of, some of them are, like there's this one thing where um, I remember he was telling me it was quite, uh, it was quite bizarre, but I guess there was a family who had gone and got a cheese pizza next door and came <laughs> for their, their son, I guess. And they came into the vegan restaurant 
and ordered the vegan food, but was, you know, the, their son was eating this, this cheese pizza there. And I guess, um, one of the, the people, one of the vegans sitting next to them filed, filed a complaint against the restaurant. Um, and it's like, yeah, it was really bizarre, you know, like we're just, we're trying to be inclusive and, and, you know, someone wants to bring outside food and Hey, we'll even look the other way there. You know, we don't want to prevent their family from coming in and ordering vegan food just because they think they can't bring a cheese pizza in for their son. And, you know, it's just, it was interesting because like seeing his take um, and like, what, what is the end goal here? I mean, I think we, you know, we want, we want healthy food. We want healthy environments. We, we want all these things, but I, yeah, I know some people are, um, yeah, quite militant about it. And it's just, I mean, it's not in my nature either. Not at all. Just to be like that in, in general things. I, I like to look at both sides. I like to try and understand all angles and, um, and, and, you know, just try and, and make decisions based on, on numbers and math and, <laughs> stats and um all, all kinds of different things factor into my decision making process and yeah i guess everyone's different the way they make decisions and, and how they they want to do things but yeah it's interesting you say that because i've um i found some similar things yeah well it's not it's nobody i mean it's not like there's any judgment i mean i i think that you know chris carr is a really good friend of mine um you know you're here we're having this conversation now I, there's nothing there but i just i noticed the pattern of like y'all are like real passionate about this topic um, and it's just a tablespoon of, or a teaspoon of, a tablespoon of butter that I'm talking about here. Like it's not, I have not killed. And you know what I mean? Like it's like, it's, it was a very interesting conversation. What do you think it is? Do you think it's because uh, of the underlying moral? Cause you know, you see these ads from PETA or the, like the, like the what's pot, what's going really on in factory farming and stuff like that. There is a level of like, you know, torture, all kinds of, I mean, we, we've all seen the movies and stuff like that. Do you think that's what's the, where that comes from is like, this deep desire to stop the hurt because for you, it seems like, Hey guys, these are the numbers. This is what works. This is the data. Here's the information. And Oh, by the way, this will also make the world a better place, you know, uh, which is sort of like a, uh, uh, when you follow the numbers and you come to the most pragmatic solution, do you think it's because of the, the, the sort of the underlying, you know, hurt or cause that the animals are going through? Yeah, I definitely think that's part of it. And I, um, I, yeah, I, I get that for sure. And, you know, I, I've seen the PETA videos and I'm, you know, I'm supportive of transparency. So I absolutely sure. support what they're doing. I mean, that's happening. That's reality. You know, they're, they're not altering videos, you know, that's real. And I think it's great that they're getting it out there. Um, it's how people respond to it, I guess that, you know, if, you know, I can, you know, I feel terrible when I see those things. I, you know, I hate that that's happening and, and I, I want no part of that, of course. And, um, and, and others feel the same way. And I think they're, they're very well intentioned, but I think sometimes that they're so passionate about that because they feel, you know, that that's so horrible. Those things are going on that sometimes the way they communicate that um, can obviously for, for people who haven't quite come to that place yet can mm-hmm. kind of uh, push them away a bit, which of course is not their intention. You know, they're just very passionate. And yeah. I, I appreciate their passion and I think it's great. I, I would much rather someone have passion about anything than to not have passion. Oh, amen. People are, amen. are, are great to, to have around. Uh, so yeah, no. And, and I, like I say, I'm totally supportive of all that. And transparency is a huge thing. You know, I'm, I, I think that, you know, one of the things, you know, beyond meat, the company beyond meat that I, I think did so brilliantly um, kind of when they launched is, you know, that whole argument is chicken healthier or is there, you know, is there, um, you know, the way they make chicken from soy, is that healthier? Like what's better? 
there was that whole debate and they basically went away from all that and said, Hey, look, like we'll, we're challenging Purdue and all, you know, all the poultry manufacturers put streaming video in their production facility. We'll do the same total transparency and the consumer will decide. And of course, none of the chicken producers would do it because they don't want to see it. I mean, it's horrible. They're slaughtering all these chickens. So, you know, they don't want that scene. And then the whole conversation shifted to about transparency and, and the conversation began really being about, well, these food producers want us to eat their food yet. They're unwilling to show us how it's produced. Like, is that right? Yep. And so that was such a smart thing for them because we're like, look, we're totally transparent. Here's streaming video. Check out how, how we do it. And if the others don't want to show you, well, maybe, maybe you should be asking a few questions. And it was just kind of, you know, putting a question out there as opposed to, to anything else. And I just think that's really smart and very effective too. Yeah, I, I do too. I mean, I think, you know, there's a, um, I remember like early in my personal development days, it reminded me a little bit of how, like when I would in, interact with people who had been through Landmark Forum, they were so passionate about Landmark Forum and the way in which they marketed it was so aggressive. And I've, I've, I've been talked about this before that it was, I, I missed the message. But what's so funny is I found myself back to the data going like, this is so accurate, but like, I mean, I wish I could have been approached a little bit of a different way. And that's what I love about your work and what you do is it's so, I guess the word, only word is this pragmatic and data-driven, which I think is amazing. Um, so when you think about like taking all of what you've learned, you know, you've, you know, Vega, I mean, you can't pretty much go anywhere these days and not see the product anywhere. It's a, you know, ma- massive success. Um, you know, you're at the 10th anniversary of the Thrive book. Um, you know, there's, there's so much that you've accomplished. Like, what is, what is next for you? Like, what are you, what are you working on? What are you building? Well, I, maybe, I don't know if you have like, like, you know, the one year or five year plan, but if you think about the vision, uh, for what's next for you and sort of this message of, you know, pragmatic, uh, numbers driven optimization of the body, you know, the, the moral, um, uh, passion around, you know, resolving, uh, factory farming, I mean, it's such a big topic right now, and, and there's there's so much uh, so much going in this direction more and more with the internet being more transparent. Um, what's next for you? Like, what what what's on the horizon, or what are you seeing yourself, you know, doing in the future? Well, yeah, I you know as, as we're talking about, there's a lot of problems with the food system right now. You know, there's there's a lot of things that are are getting better, but there still are a lot of problems. You know, there's these inefficiencies in, in producing food, the amount of land, water, fossil fuel, and the amount of CO2 created and um, CO2 equivalent gases created, it's, you know, it's staggering. And, um, you know, there was that report a while ago from the UN that said, you know, more greenhouse gases are created through you know, livestock production than all of transportation, uh, which is, you know, it's pretty staggering. So, you know, there are things that I think now with what I've learned over the last, you know, 13 years that Vega's been out, the connections I've made, um, you know, the people I know and, and having been through this once with Vega, I almost feel as though um, to not use what I've, I've learned with that um, at least more than once would, would kind of be a lost opportunity. So I do want to do something in the, in the food system to, to help um, kind of push it in the direction I feel it ought to go. Um, I'm, I'm not, uh, uh, some people refer to me as an entrepreneur. I'm certainly not a pure entrepreneur in that. Right. I don't just see a market opportunity and say, Hey, I think I could sell something into that niche. I don't care about selling things. I I really don't. I care about using um, capitalism and entrepreneurship as, as, as a means to, to try and solve something that I feel is a problem. So uh, again, the food system, and I think one of the best ways to do it is through conscious capitalism, through creating products and companies that help fix the, the problem 
um, you know, there's political um, people who have good political will too. Um, you know, harder harder to come by. But uh, you know, I know some politicians doing really good work. Cory Booker being one of them who um, has 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 done a lot of really great things. Um, but yeah, I think sort of where where I can help most is is kind of through that uh, conscious capitalism path. Um, and yeah, so I, I want to do something more with, uh, with, with all, all those things. It has to, you know, it has to solve a problem or, or there's no point in doing it as far as I'm concerned. And like I said, I don't, I don't want to sell things for if I see a business opportunity. Just yeah. Doesn't interest me. That's awesome. So that's amazing. I mean, I think that you think about, I think about the, the nature of, uh, uh, the world today, the economy today. I mean, everything is being disrupted. What, I don't care what industry you're in. Uh, disruption is either imminent uh, or already taking you over. In my case, you know, I was one of the first uh, early uh, um, sort of victims of of, uh, of disruption because I was in the music business, and we were the first, one of the first businesses to completely get disrupted by Napster and all that. And then, and then an outsider came in and dominated the industry. Steve Jobs and iTunes, you know, not even in the music business. Um, so, do you, is that kind of what you're talking about? Like, because it seems like this is one area where, I mean, you got Soylent that's kind of coming along. There's like, I just read yesterday uh, that there's a company that's growing meat um, from the lab now. Um, you know, so it, it kind of feels like the food, I mean, especially with like 3D printing and on-demand services, like it sort of seems like the the food industry, the production process, how we get our, um, you know, the food that we put in our body is ripe for disruption right now because there's a lot of inefficiencies there. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's the interesting thing. It's tech is now very much getting into food. You know, a lot of the guys. Um, I know some of the the folks at Twitter. You know, they've they've got a fund, uh, one called Obvious, that invests in you know food tech startups and other mission based companies. You know, ones who really want to make a difference. And so so that's the interesting thing. You know, some people are really afraid of tech and food because they say, well, you should just be eating really natural food. Um, but there are there are a lot of ways that that good technology, true technology, can help with those efficiencies. And um, you know, it's not necessarily uh, over producing food. It can be like Beyond Meat, for example. You know, they use pea protein. You know, um, U.S. grown non-GMO uh, organic pea protein is our first ingredient, and and it's really just the way that's treated. You know, with pressure and heat and different things that. Um, you know, has a texture like meat that it's going to help a lot of people transition from eating standard American diet to eating um, a healthier one. So I think stuff like that's great. I also really like, um, there, there's a company called uh, Square Roots out of uh, Brooklyn that's, it's shipping containers. So basically growing, um, growing food in shipping containers using um, ultra efficient lighting uh, that only uses a spectrum for photosynthesis. So you can use really low amounts of power. Wow. One 20 foot shipping container um, of two acres, you know, if it's done right, very low water and it's, wow. it's fresh food, it's hydroponically grown. You can actually even change uh, the mineral content in the hydroponic solution to change the taste and nutritional profile of the food you're growing. So wow. really pretty cool. And, you know, it's just pure natural food and, they have a system where it's a, an entrepreneurship program where kids can go and basically license a container and be a farmer in their community. You can have a you know 20 foot shipping container um, sitting in a parking lot and have some 18 year old you know high school or college kid wow. as your farmer who's you know tending to that and then selling 
this fresh, organic, local produce to, to the community. So I think stuff like that that's innovative and you know, really solving a problem is, is, is really smart and, and very needed. That's awesome. Well, it, it sounds like you got some ideas. It sounds like they're percolating. And um, it sounds like there's more to come, which I, I'm really excited to see because, um, you know, when you, when you take the, the, the pragmatic approach that you have with the science and nutrition, the, under, the, 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 the passion for innovation, plus a previous success, I'm excited to see what's next um, because it seems like there's um, some, some ideas bubbling. And I, I'm going to check out those companies because um, I did not even know until you just brought it up right now. So that's really incredible. Um, last question. I want to make sure that we honor our time here and honor your time. Um, if you're looking like for me, I'll just ask because I need this. I need this example. So I, I, I'm I'm in a bodybuilding weight loss performance state. That's where I am. Um, how would you go from? How should I put it? Um, I consume a lot of meat. I do a lot of fish. I do a lot of chicken. Um, you know, and pretty much everything I'm doing is, is there's a lot of, there's a lot, there's a lot of meat throughout the day. What would be like, do you just like rip off the bandaid? Do you just start with lunch? Do you start with breakfast? Like how does one make the transition from sort of, you know, uh, I guess sort of, you know, or, or at least implement more, uh, plant-based stuff into the, I mean, I have a lot, I have a lot of vegetables and plant-based stuff already, but specifically around like, you know, the, the idea of, of the protein sources, I'm still trying to figure out a way to like, do, do we just rip off the bandaid? Is there a nutrition, like what are the macros on it? Like, how do you, how do you get into that zone of, of, of being plant-based for your training? Is it just like you try it and see how you feel? Yeah. And I think, you know, add, just think of one thing, you just one thing a day, have a smoothie in the morning. That's the way I started. That's the way most people um, start because you can load up a smoothie with whatever you think tastes good. And, you know, everyone can like some sort of smoothie and, you know, put some plant protein in it. Um, you know, the different sources we talked about and make it taste good and, and enjoy it and, and see how you feel, see how your body responds, see how you are, you know, have it right after a workout and see how your inflammation is and, and how your digestibility is and kind of tweak as you go along and, you know, keep a training diary, nutrition diary, see the correlations just really know, know yourself and know how you respond to things. And then what usually happens over time is people's palates start to change and they start to actually crave the really good food and they never feel as though uh, they're being restricted. Um, you know, cause you don't want to start saying to people, don't eat this, don't eat that. Cause the first thing they want to do is eat those things. So add things, think about it, not subtracting. And then, you know, like I said, once uh, you get over, you know, the initial few few days, you'll actually start to uh, to want the good stuff. And you know, I, I just I eat whatever I want, but what I want to eat just happens to be really good because I've you know done it for a long time. It's the way my palate's tuned now. I like eating just really fresh, simple, basic food. I can go and you know eat a eat a fresh potato or you know some arugula, and it tastes you know so flavorful to me. Whereas someone who eats a standard American diet, their taste buds are so desensitized that. They need over-flavored food, but as you cut that back slowly, your senses change, um, and that's you know that's a really good thing to have happen because then, like I said, I don't feel deprived. I don't feel as though I can't eat what I want to eat. I see what I want to eat, but it just happens to be really good stuff. I love it. Amazing. I, I think that's so important because I think the more that we restrict, the more that we say that we can't, that perpetuates some of the the craziness of food, which I think is really amazing. So, uh, Brendan, I want to thank you so much for being here today. Uh, this is this time has just really just flown by. Um, everyone can check out brendanbrazier.com. That's B-R-E-N-D-A-N, Brazier, B-R-A-Z-I-E-R.com. Everything is there, the nutritional philosophy, uh, the Thrive Diet 10-year anniversary. Um, we haven't talked about the magazine. You want to briefly talk about the magazine as well? 
Sure. Yeah, really quick. So I, I started a magazine uh, called Alive and um, I'm editor in chief. So I just, I, I pulled together really interesting writers and, uh, and subjects talk about, you know, food, technology, sport, nutrition, fitness, environment, uh, green tech, all, all types of things that, that I think are interesting. And it's uh, issue one is out now. It's in Whole Foods. It's free. Um, awesome. I don't think it's in all the Whole Foods yet. Issue two will be in more of them. That will come out within about a month. Um, and yes, quarterly, get it in uh, right now, like say Whole Foods, and it'll be expanding to, to more places soon. Awesome. Congratulations on that. It's really exciting. I wish you really well on that venture. Brendan, thank you for being on today and for sharing your wisdom with us today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Mastin. Always, always nice to connect, even though it's like, been a while. Yeah, I'll have to do it again soon. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thanks. Hey, it's Mastin. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. And before we wrap up, if you found value in this, one of the best ways to get this trauma-informed information to the world, if that's something that you want to do and to be a part of spreading the word, I would be so very grateful if you could leave a review on Apple or Spotify podcasts so that uh, you can review this. And hopefully it's a good review, but please leave an honest review. And especially if you want to leave a five-star review, I would be super stoked on that. But of course, just make it honest. But my goal is to to share more trauma-informed information with the world and I need your help to spread this information and reviews matter. So if you feel called to do that, would very much appreciate it if you got value from this episode and from this podcast, we very much appreciate it and uh, thank you so much for hearing me out and if you feel called, please leave a review on Apple or Spotify and we'll see you in the next episode.